0: measure your success and measure what matters. We are trying as marketers, as business owners to do everything and no one really knows if it's working. Imagine if you just worked out what was working, did more of that and did less of everything else.
1: You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of elite agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers, and leaders. With thanks to our partner, Connect Now. Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking, and strategies to elevate your results. To download your written action guide from this podcast, containing extra tips, links, and shortcuts, visit EliteAgentElevate.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients. Visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Elevate Podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, Editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. Long before any consumer picks up the phone, they're actively researching online, shortlisting the right person for the job. My guest on today's show is an expert at making sure that agents do make the shortlist. Valentina Bourbon is a digital marketing educator and CEO of the Banter Group. She's also an advisor to the International Social Media Association and would be familiar to many of you as a coach at Digital Live. So, Valentina, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, and thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
2: Finally, as we were just talking a minute ago, it was about a year and a half that you were speaking at Prop 20, which got cancelled because of the pandemic. So, I'm super excited to have you join us today. And and I'm hoping that this episode might be a bit of a masterclass in social media because that's exactly what you do. And it's such a hot topic right now.
0: Yeah, well, it's definitely been evolving. And I don't think anyone has been left unscathed in the last couple of months after what happened with Facebook and our media bargaining code. So I'm really looking forward to maybe reigniting some of the things that I have talked about in the past and also giving people some new tips that they might be able to employ that they haven't thought of now. But I'm so happy that we got some of uh, Prop 20 out there. There were a lot of great speakers and there was a lot of preparation that went into an event like that and to only really get Victoria and Adelaide done before everyone else unfortunately got canned. Um, It was a real shame and I hope everyone has actually digested some of that content in its digital form because it did all go out online.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people would actually know you from that as well because I know REA did put all the sessions up online. And before we get into today, just in case people aren't familiar with you and the work that you do or they have been under a rock and haven't been to digital live or any of those things, can you just start a little bit with who you work with, who you help and how you help them? I have
0: been in marketing my entire career, and that's agency-side marketing, and I was very fortunate that I was one of the digital leads for ADMA, which is our advertising association. For the last 10 years, I wrote their three-month certificate-grade course and taught it, both evening classes, day classes. It changed by the time I'd written the content, and I used to teach about a 1,000 people a year including in-house training. And what that led me to is teaching for REA, teaching lots of different real estate groups. And that will take me anywhere from CBRE, Lendley, Stockland, Mervac, through to all of our residential and commercial real estate agencies, McGrath, Ray White, Bell Property, and everyone in between. And I'm not going to, you know, rattle them all off. But I started to work in real estate mostly because I was educating salespeople in how to sell digital solutions. And that turned into, let's teach the agents how these digital solutions work so that they can understand what some of the best opportunities are. So I still run training programs in-house for someone like Lendlease. Off the back of COVID, the face-to-face National Roadshow got cancelled two days in a studio and a program that's now launched globally it means that people are still investing in their ongoing training and learning. And what we need to remember is it changes really quickly and without notice. And if the media bargaining code didn't hopefully get everyone on the same page with that in the last couple of uh, weeks, last month, then I don't know what we'll learn. <laughs> if no one's listening after that.
2: <laughs> I know, right. So let's talk about that for a moment because we were banned in amongst a whole lot of other people in real estate. I mean, even the portals couldn't escape. So realestate.com.au, domain.com.au. For us, Facebook was down the list of our traffic sources, but it did upset me that people couldn't share their good news from Elite agent when someone gets a new job or when someone gets an award. They couldn't share any of that. They couldn't share their properties on social media, which was a bit of a big deal. So what was your experience when Facebook banned the news basically, because you would have had a lot of clients who were affected?
0: I did. And look, there's a few things that come with that. Firstly, it was indiscriminate. It wasn't just news sites. We all saw that. The health sites, whether they were government related or not, they absolutely went down. But a mustard factory was taken down. One of our construction clients was taken down. So there were no rhyme or reason to who was picked on. And it really came down to there was a bit of a power play going on. Zuckerberg wanted to say, really, you want to play this game? Well, guess what? Bang goes the button. You're done here. Let's play the right game. So it did come down to what was the definition of media within Facebook and also what categories some people had picked their business listing to be under. But even still, there were there was no rhyme or reason. So some people just got caught in that. was it? ever going to happen? Absolutely. When I've been teaching for 10 years, something I've been saying since about 2014, to put that into context, that's seven years ago, that we're putting a lot of data in the hands of someone, be it Facebook, be it Google, be it anybody else as a player, we're not in control of that data. So if they change the game, you have to play the game. Now, iTunes did this years ago. We had this subscription model and then we found out that We're not subscribed. We're leasing our music, even though we're paying for it. And really everyone got this big shock, like, what do you mean? I don't own my CD collection anymore. And that's just what happened in the media. So when it did happen and it happened overnight, everyone woke up and it was gone. I just went, are you really that surprised? And some of the feedback, I had this big discussion on Banter's Facebook page with someone, which was, I just can't believe that I can't get my news and my health updates in Facebook. I'm like, wow, really? Because that wasn't the intention of the platform. And if you're relying on a social chit-chat platform to give you your most important health information globally about your family in several countries, you might need to reevaluate what you value. Because I certainly don't go to the ABC's Rage program to get my update on fashion, for example. Can we be realistic about what these platforms are for and what their intention is? So, you know, did I think that Facebook did the right thing? No, I don't. I don't really think they should have cut everyone off at the knees but they were making a statement and from a media company's point of view and I'll mention a lead agent it is a shame that one of those sources of traffic for you and the way consumers want to consume their media and I think that's what got missed is we do like to sit on the couch lie in bed and put all of our worldly links tips tricks recommendations in one place because it's convenient to us. Not because it's the right thing to do, but, oh, you mean now I have to download a different app for my news? My husband did it beautifully. He stuck a post up and there was the BBC News app icon and the Facebook app icon. And he said, let's have no confusion, people. To buy random stuff that you don't need, hit the blue button. And for actual quality news and journalism, hit the red button. And I thought, he's not even in this space and he can just nail it in that simple format and i think that's what people missed is they created more drama than was necessary and it did return but how long did it return for before the game
2: changes again that's interesting because they restored our pages i remember seeing our treasurer josh freidenberg he tweeted something that said i've been in conversations with mark zuckerberg and all of our pages will be restored soon and i tweeted back it's a shame they can't restore our trust that easily and that's the thing, like with someone with that much power, and I guess we could go on about this for hours, I almost feel like that they were being dared to use it and use it they did.
0: Absolutely.
2: But to me, this also
0: what it does come back to is what people value. And as a digital educator, I've been saying for a long time, if Facebook told you know me, everyday user, not business user, but everyday user you're going to pay $10 a month for your Facebook page and access. Would you pay for that? Now, as an educator at 1,000 people a year, I would say 95% of people would go, no way. I'm like, wow, really? I value those connections. I value the opportunity to chat to all my friends in different groups in different ways and get my news, get my fashion, get my digital updates. Take my money. That's is valuable to me and I liken it to people weren't going to pay for Foxtel. Yes, they did. People aren't going to pay for Stan, Netflix, Spotify, iTunes. Yes, they do because they value it. So why do we not value our journalism? Why do we not value having our subscription models for the things in business that are actually game changers for us as business people? So a lead agent and a subscription model, if you value it and the quality is there and it moves you forward, put your hand in your pocket, people. The world's not free. I
2: just can't believe it. (laughs) I'm going to say thank you and and please be aware if you're listening, I didn't put her up to saying that. (laughs) No, you didn't. It's no different
0: to me for any other subscription that I pay for. I pay for my Australian Financial Review. I pay for the barrel news. You know, I'm in the Southern Highlands in a regional area. I can't jump on the Sydney Morning Herald and get what's happening in my local council, which is in the news at the moment. And I actually subscribe to the barrel news because I want to know. So yeah, if you value it, you'll pay for it. And to me, that's no different to a car. If you value the brand and the badge you'll pay for it. Otherwise, pick up an Aldi special and you'll be good to go. Still does the same thing as the uh, Audi.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So given all the stuff going on with Facebook and and iOS 14 and all that sort of stuff, is remarketing as we know it dead? Look, as
0: we know it, essentially, yes. We need to be able to collect data to be able to retarget. And as I was saying before, where we're going to be looped into this similar interests and behaviours category, is going to change what retargeting actually looks like. So um, you may see a notification that comes up in Facebook that will be asking for permission to access certain data points to give you a better experience. Now, that's the value proposition. Would you like to give us your data so that we can give you a better experience? My answer is going to be yes. You can take my data because you're going to find it in hundreds of other ways that I engage in my online experiences. and. I think that's what we need to be really thick about. You will give up your data if you find it a valuable experience. But yeah, retargeting the way we've always done it after 20 years is changing. Yeah.
2: Bringing it back to real estate, where do you think agents should be directing their digital footprint right now?
0: Agents and agencies really need to build their brand, their profile, and own their data. And I've been, again, saying this for a long time. There's fabulous CRM programs out there. Everyone's using them, but they're not actually using them. They're subscribed, so they value it. But I don't see that many great email campaigns go out. It's really, guess what? I listed this and I sold that. And I think, hurrah to you. Why on earth is that any different to anybody else? So Creating a right to have that communication, creating the database that you can mine and keep. We know this is the relationship business. Technology really should just be facilitating the relationship. And I think if you're not investing in the digital tools that create that loop for you, I think you're missing a huge opportunity. Relying on Facebook to find them look, it's a lead, it's a way of doing it. Instagram's another way of doing it. LinkedIn is again, another way of doing it. Hitting the pavement, going to your community groups, being part of your community is all about building your own brand and relationship. And I think there needs to be a bit more focus on that rather than Facebook shut down my sales pipeline. Wow. They're the ones that aren't going to survive.
2: It is pretty interesting. And you just mentioned email there, which is also interesting because I also feel like agents need to have their email list as as more like a newsletter rather than just listed, just sold. And I guess that's going to become even more important soon with the iOS 14 updates. So, and I'm sure you're across those. How do you think those will impact real estate?
0: Oh, in a huge way. There's a a big percentage of Australians on the iOS platform. Uh, That's Apple, if everyone's wondering what iOS is. So there's Apple and iOS and Android, Samsung and everyone else, uh, Google Pixel phone, things like that. And the iOS platform is trying to give people control. Now, in Australia, we want privacy control. It's something that happened a long time ago with the introduction of the Privacy Policy, Privacy Act and the Spam Act from 2003. What we don't like is too much choice. Now, what Apple's doing is saying, for every single website you ever open after that app update, you will be asked whether or not you'll want to enable tracking. Now, there's a factor that's going to happen with I am over this just no. So are we going to get this huge part of the population all opting in going, yay, I can't wait to have more control? No. And we need to remember that what people say and what people do are two totally different things. Of course, I want control. Oh, I just don't want to have to press this button every two seconds. Can't have your cake and eat it too. So yes, that targeting and retargeting is absolutely going to change significantly. There is a shift in the handset. Don't forget, this is only affecting Apple users. I'm even on an Android, so it's not going to affect me. And the way I look at targeting, I love being targeted accurately because I don't want to see sport ads, no offence, just not interested and I'm pretty sure men don't want feminine hygiene ads, let's just call it as it is but you know what, until we start working out what the new targeting looks like and we also know third-party cookie tracking is going down the tubes as well from Google's perspective, we're going to be grouped based on similar likes behaviours and interests. Now, if you're like me, let's just say I'm 46 this year, I'm female and I paint miniature models of the Lord of the Rings. Who's in my group? It's like far out, really. We're all going to suddenly have similar interests and behaviours and desires. It's going to be a really tough move forward from the third party cookie that we've known for over 20 years. This isn't new. We've just got to keep evolving. So I'll go back to actually what you were saying with email as well. We've had COVID shut us down from any form of face-to-face interaction when relying on digital. And whilst we have Zoom, and here I am on this with you, email has been the highest return on investment digital marketing channel for over seven years. Now that's a pretty big statement to make when we've had social and we've had all the new bells and whistles, particularly from Facebook and Insta, and yet we're Eliminating or deprioritizing, I should say, this channel that is direct to my inbox when I want it in the richest form, and I will digest it when it suits me. And people aren't utilizing that. And I think that's crazy. I feel like real estate's just gone after the newest, shiniest thing and actually not looked at the return on investment because social is hugely time consuming and fickle. We're down to 0.7 seconds in the feed. And you think about it takes over an hour to put something in your phone on the feed and we just zoom past it. Email, I'm going to sit
2: and read with my cup of tea and have a good look. There's a lot of newsletters, not inside the real estate industry, but a lot of newsletters that I've noticed that it's almost like a resurgence of the newsletter. I've got a newsletter of my own. So obviously the brief, I'm passionate about newsletters, but you're right. I do sit on a Sunday morning and catch up on the newsletters that I've missed. And if it's valuable content to me, then I'm happy to spend the time on it almost like leafing through a magazine.
0: Absolutely. And the consumer is smart. Let's not think that they're just dumb. (laughs) For a long, long time, we have RSS feeds available on our newsletters. So you can actually, as a user, curate your one newsletter about property. And I can subscribe to 10 different newsletters and I can do my property reading. I can do my fashion reading and I can also do my digital marketing reading. So it's it's like my own magazine of things that I like categorised from all my favourite sources. Why people think, oh, you know, it's just flooding the inbox. It's like, um, if no one has set that up, that's quite behind in the times of how to consume the amount of content we're trying to get through. And like, I love my digital, but it is exhausting. It's relentless. And it comes at you 24 seven from overseas. We've got now more information than we could ever possibly digest. So how do we curate it in a way that works for us? Lying in bed on the weekend, catching up instead of a physical newspaper, we have our digital newspaper. And, And I don't mean the Australian Financial Review. I mean, curating our feeds into our own news. And people are missing this opportunity.
2: Yeah, I actually think there's a big tip there for agents that if you could curate a community newsletter or something like that from various different sources around the place, given that there are so few community newspapers, you just mentioned it yourself a little while ago, there's a big, big opportunity there.
0: Absolutely. And look, what was interesting about the Barrel News in everything that had happened um, with the Media Bargaining Code is their site never went down. Isn't that fun? And they're a an limited site and they never went down. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? Is, do we think that might be a coincidence? It was interesting because we were like, oh, no, is it, Oh no! our news is still there. Good. We can still find out about the two traffic lights in our area.
2: <laughs> well, that, that's it. I did talk to somebody who was big in community newspapers once and they said that a lot of it was about DAs and crime. So you could be a real estate agent by day and a crime reporter by night. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't try that at home. No. But I do think a community newsletter is a fantastic idea. They really are. Let's go back to Facebook. I hate giving them airtime at the moment, but let's go back it is pay to play with Facebook at the moment. You were just talking about the newsfeed and and how much access that you get in the newsfeed after you have spent an hour, you know, curating a beautiful social media post. Do you think that it's worthwhile having any sort of Facebook strategy or any sort of social media strategy right now, if you're not paying for advertising?
0: Yes, there still is a place. Look, it's been a pay to play platform for probably close to three, four years now, if not longer. And in saying that, to explain what a pay-to-play platform really means, they reduced their organic feed reach. They basically said, you know what, you've had 16 good years to build up your audience and now we're going to monetize it. Again, not a big surprise. I don't know too many players that give away heaps of free media. And what they did is reduced the reach to be between um, 1% to 2% of your total following base will even see one of those posts. But the algorithm is real. If you get lots of traction in the first hour, the first hour is really important. So traction being comments likes, shares mentions in that first hour, the algorithm goes, oh, you know what? This content is actually really useful to somebody, to lots of people. We're going to show it to more people. So that's what the, the pay to play became. In terms of having a strategy because of the pay to play, we have to go back to consumer behavior and how we actually operate. So if I'm moving into my area, someone's moving into our area and they're going to ask a friend as this happened to me, oh, I heard you move to the Southern Highlands. What's it like to live there? Can you recommend any agents as I'm about to do the move from Sydney? Now, for me, I can go tag individual businesses or individual agents, call these guys. These are great. Here, I'll link you in, literally not on LinkedIn, but on Facebook. I'll link you in. And then that person is going to validate that relationship before they pick up the phone. And what I think agents and agencies are missing is, no, you don't just see a post and go, oh, I like them. I might give them a call. We do that with things that are relatively disposable, but not in a relationship with someone like the bank and someone like real estate. That's a very emotive, long-term strategy for a lot of people. And something that doesn't happen to a lot of people in their lives more than a couple of times. So social is a validation point, just like websites are a validation point. Are they still needed? I mean, websites have been around for a long time. Um, Absolutely. Because imagine if you hear of an agent, and then you go to look them up, and they don't exist. Mm. Okay, so consumers going to go, are they even legit? Or are they just kind of working out of their garage? Are they even qualified? oh, I don't know, I don't feel good about that versus someone else who's got a really active profile in the community. I can see who I'm dealing with. It's about building that relationship. And that's where a strategy should exist, even though it's a pay-to-play platform for reach, it's a validation point as well.
2: Yeah. Can we talk about some of the other platforms as well? Because as you said in the very beginning, things do change very quickly. And so all of a sudden, when everyone was kind of cut off from Facebook for a while, they all jumped on LinkedIn. After all the jokes came out about, what's my MySpace login? (laughs) Everyone jumped over to LinkedIn. And I think LinkedIn still remains a bit underutilized as far as agents are concerned. Frankly, people who've been listening to this podcast for a couple of years now know that LinkedIn scares me because I just get spammed by people with ridiculous messages that are just not even anything to do with anything I do. How should agents be using LinkedIn at the moment to build their profiles? Okay, so
0: LinkedIn is not a Facebook. It is a B2B platform and it's about your professionalism, not what you had for dinner. And What I think agents have missed is, oh, I'll just claim the profile. And what that meant was they've got no picture, no background, but they do have a name, a picture at best, and a really bad picture at best, and no real valuable content on there, no real valuable profile background on there. Now, again, it's another tool. My biggest tip for using LinkedIn is please fill in the boxes of information if it says, what's your work history, maybe complete that box. That would be useful. If it does ask for a photo, please don't post one. This is my pet hate on LinkedIn. Don't post one from 25 years ago. I like to think I still look 20, but I don't, and I'm okay. This is my professional face now. What is? And, you know, I've got to meet people off LinkedIn. They don't know what I look like, and if you're posting a picture where, let's say, quite frankly, is not you anymore, People aren't even going to find you and why would I trust you? You're trying to deceive me even with the picture that you're using. But don't underestimate what people look at within the profile. So once you've got the boxes filled in, you can post to the LinkedIn platform in the same way that you post to Facebook in terms of valuable content. That's still useful to have an up-to-date profile. But people aren't on LinkedIn every waking moment of the day for work. It's work. Let's remember that. It's not my fashion, my dinner arrangements for the weekend and someone's so and so fourth birthday and new baby being born. That's completely different. So what the tricks are that people are missing in LinkedIn is actually making genuine connections. Now, I was having this discussion recently. If someone was to pass you on the street and say, hi, how are you going? Would you just actually look at them like deadpan and just keep walking? I'm hoping you wouldn't. Someone hopefully is being human might go oh hi even if you don't know them and you've got to take the offline space into the online space. You can't just hit someone up with hey want to go out you can't you know and dating comes up all the time in social and how do you actually create that connection but we know that in marketing You need to hit people with a consistent message over and over again before they remember you, before they have any need for you and um, before they're certainly going to connect with you on any meaningful level. So if you have to hit them, let's say, 20 times to get seven that stick and then you can approach them, that's not something that happens in a week and it's not something that happens in two or three interactions. So we do need to warm people up so that when you do make that introduction of value and of purpose, then they're going to be receptive to that connection. And that's where people are missing it. Oh, I'll just send an in-mail message. The most impersonal, not recommended purpose of using LinkedIn at all unless you've got a warm introduction. And if you've got $10 an email to spend, give me a call. I'll tell you 10 other
2: things to do with
0: $10 per email. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
2: It's, it's all a bit of a trade-off with that sort of budget these days. But the message I get usually from people is because you're a real estate agent and because you're in North Sydney, we'd like to work with you or something like that. And I'm like, wrong, I'm not a real estate agent. And wrong again, I'm not in North Sydney anymore. So I think it's just really important that you actually research before you send that in mail too, because there's so many people wasted so much money on me.
0: Oh my goodness. I'm exactly the same. And sometimes if I'm in the mood after a coffee or two, I actually write back and order pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to how- try that. Yeah. Do you know what? And, and the more they persist, especially the rude ones that come through and say, I haven't heard back from you on this. i just write back, where's the pepperoni? The garlic bread was missing. And actually I never asked for Pepsi. I'd really like Coca-Cola. Thanks. And they just go away eventually. But I'm like you, I get hundreds of requests from useless providers who haven't read a single thing about my business and then want to offer their services. And yeah. It's yes. not off. I actually have a few templates which are copy and paste. I can send to you if you like. <laughs> I was, I was going to
2: say, do you have any tips for cold outreach? Because it is, LinkedIn is a good place to engage in a bit of cold outreach with people that are maybe executives in your local area or something like that. Yeah. What are your tips?
0: Yeah. It's offering something of value. And when I say that, don't message me and say, could I buy you a cup of coffee and pick your brain? My brain costs about $180 for every 30 minutes. But yeah, you want to pick my marketing brain. There's a reason I've been in the industry for a really long time and I get the results. So why would that be worth a $3.50 coffee or $5.50 if you're in barrel? It just doesn't make sense to me. So if you're going to approach someone with that cold call, maybe show them that you do have a connection via somebody else, that there's a real legitimate person in this because there's also the feeling that a lot of LinkedIn connections with family, you don't really know these people. I did have a buyer's agent connect to me just recently. Uh, And in fact, he wouldn't connect to me. He watched me do some training online. So he knows I'm a legit business. He's seen who I am. He knows what I do in real estate. And he wouldn't accept my LinkedIn request on the basis, uh, and I hope he's watching this, on the basis that he's personally met every single person that he's connected with on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, missing the core fundamentals of how LinkedIn does work. And I'm not saying accept every request. I get requests from a lot of American military personnel who apparently can't get past my gorgeous eyes. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to do that.
2: Wrong platform Um, again.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, If I wasn't married, I'd probably have a bit of fun with that too, but no, stay away from the stalkers. But at the same time, this person knows what I do in my industry. I've tried to connect with them before and he's asking me to come and meet with him and he won't accept my LinkedIn request. So... what he could have utilised is, oh, I see that you're connected to these 50 people that he does know personally that could make it a legitimate connection. If I get an inquiry uh, or someone just checking me out, I go look at them and I'll put this in context, a little barrel connection in healthcare. And I've done a lot in the healthcare space and straight away go to LinkedIn, who is this person? Turns out we have a connection that goes back probably 20 years. And simply by dropping that, we're meeting for a drink after work. It's not even a coffee in the middle of the day. It's, hey, oh, that person's great. The legitimacy of that relationship just went through the roof when it came through as a, a cold inquiry. So putting that connectivity together, perhaps you've worked with someone that they actually know, perhaps perhaps they're round the corner from you. Perhaps you've read that they have done something particular in their feed. There's a really good point about cold calling. Spend a little time looking at who they are and find a mutual way of opening up a conversation. So, I do talk a lot about being personable. And in real estate, that's what we talk about people and connections. Uh, And I also have a special needs daughter. So if I find that somebody else is engaged in special needs, special education, guess what? That's a pretty easy connection for me to make. I sponsor a number of charities, the guide dogs being one of them. So again, anyone around animal welfare, the other things that I care about, donating blood, the charities that I do support, that gives me a way of saying, oh, and here's a bit about me, and I'm prepared to tell you something about me that'll make them more receptive to discuss something with you. But that can easily go back to also things like property investments, the biggest one I get on LinkedIn, you know, where do I find all the investors? It's like, yeah, maybe search the word investor. <laughs> that that's a start. Investment bankers, that's another start. But also think about some of the roles where people might actually have more than one property. And guess what? There's a lot of people in real estate who aren't agents, but are in peripheral services of property. Maybe that's a good place to start.
2: Yeah. And also I think another good trick is looking for senior level job titles, like because one might assume that if you'd worked your way up over a number of years, that building wealth was a bit of a passion.
0: Absolutely. And look, let's be aware of uh, what some of these words might mean when we say senior level roles. My favourite is the entrepreneur. Anyone's
2: an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur looking for new opportunities is just somebody unemployed, isn't it? That's code for...
0: Right. (laughs) Right. And and I do teach this as well, that the director of first impressions is the receptionist. Let's actually look at what the roles are and what they actually mean. And guess what? We're probably going to visit their website. We're probably going to go look at their socials to validate who they are before we waste our time on the unemployed. We're putting these pieces together even in this discussion. I just want people to really think about what they're doing, but not be lazy about it. Don't just go, yes, every CEO is my target list.
2: Select all email. That's where you get into the, <laughs> Select you all get into the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about YouTube because I think YouTube's a bit of an underutilized resource. So, what we see agents doing is it's there, they've got a YouTube channel with a couple of subscribers. All of the property videos go up there just because. Do you have any tips for making better use of YouTube and Google now?
0: Yeah, so let's not forget that YouTube is owned by Google second largest search engine in the world outside of Google. Video as a content platform is why it's so successful. It's easy to digest. It's easy to curate your own video feeds. If you've got children like me, I watch a lot of extra Barbie videos because that's what gets recommended to me a lot at the moment.
2: I've got a kitten and I'm being recommended fish cat game videos and they work, by the way.
0: They work, by the way. I love it. So recommendation model is what's useful. There's a a couple of useful parts about YouTube. So firstly, websites will take up a lot of data and hosting by putting videos directly on the website platform. So a lot of people do upload to YouTube or Vimeo first so that it actually gets pulled into a website. So that's one thing and actually having as its own video host. Secondly, it adds to Google search. The more places that your brand is in, the more Google as an index has to show. So if you can take up one extra spot on that search result with your YouTube channel, guess what? It pushes one more competitor off to page two or further down the track. What it is useful for is if people are moving around, if people are looking to validate, they can see what a live auction might look like in an area, particularly for out of areas where you're not just dropping in round the corner. And when I moved to the Highlands, I wasn't local. It was a big journey. I have a special needs daughter who had to put in the car for a couple of trips. That was fun. So video is easy to consume, easy to share. They can be short, but they can be in depth. And again, I can't, and I won't just look at a static picture and go, Samantha looks nice. I actually might want to know what you're actually like. Are you quite a full-on interviewer in, in terms of, we've talked before, but, You're not going to just jump into a situation where you go, oh, I think she looks nice. She looks friendly. She might eat me alive in the first 30 seconds. What can I learn about you as a person simply by watching video? And I think it is a more genuine approach compared to photography. And anyone can look really great until they speak. Yep, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's why you might also say in a recruitment process, I'm recruiting, asking people to make a video and part of that is not to say you're really great looking down the barrel of a camera. You're confident enough to speak about who you are if you're about to go into a sales role. And if you can't talk about you, I'm not sure how you're going to talk about my business, my products, my services and seller solutions. So video does add that extra level of credibility. What I think we're missing is that not all video is good. Not all video is created equally. We don't need high production values. That's kind of gone out the window years ago. We've, we're armed with these dangerous things in our hands and the consumer is accepting of that. Now, when I say that, if you've got a $8 million waterfront property, not acceptable. It's like me turning up in my Hyundai i30 and taking you around for a drive. It's not acceptable. <laughs> so you've got to match your brand with the customer that you're talking to. And I think video has to play into that as well. So market updates are great because, again, you're thinking about making a move, what's really happening in the market. I can actually get a series of those videos and guess what? The recommendation model will kick in. And that's what is useful about YouTube, definitely. I don't have to go and seek out the next video. It will come to me.
2: Yeah. And I guess last but not least, there's a couple of new platforms kicking around, which I'm keen to get your thoughts on if you have any. One of them's Clubhouse <laughs> and the it. other one's TikTok, obviously. <laughs> like Now my teenage daughter said, mum, I can't believe you're even talking about TikTok because it's obviously very much like a, a Gen Z type younger platform. But I've heard that some agents are getting a lot of traction out there on it. So What's traction? Let me start with that one. What Followers. Yeah. L- let me just say followers and love hearts. Yeah. Followers and love
0: hearts. Wow. They're right back to where we started with Facebook and Instagram that we were collecting vanity metrics. Unless that 15 year old is about to engage you for property. I hope the heart makes you feel good. It's- <laughs> lipstick to me it makes me feel nice yeah look and the fact that you even said that your daughter went oh my gosh I can't even believe that you're there so what was that sentiment was that like my mother is on the platform
2: yeah but I don't think she likes that we've got more followers anyway <laughs> like you know I think it's a bit of an issue there anyway but yeah
0: well, this again is taking us back to Facebook's early days when our parents caught up guess what the young ones did they moved off No one wants to be connected where their parents are. Suddenly the cool thing just got taken over by the old people and we're not old. We have to be realistic about the value. And if you're going into TikTok because you want early brand recognition and stickiness, that's different. And there is a brand role. We can infiltrate brands. We know this from a young age happy little Vegemites. My favourite one is probably the Dollar Mine account from Commonwealth Bank. I mean, that's literally putting the brand in your hand in kindergarten and you won't separate from that. It's a a well-known tactic. But are we influencing or are we just jumping on the next shiny thing? Mm. Now, I thought, oh, I'll give TikTok a chance one day. Oh, my gosh. Like, I've got time for this. And I actually learned something really valuable about harvesting blueberries. It was an hour and 20 minutes into it. I was there for an hour and 20 minutes. That was my point. It was a vortex of mind numbing entertainment. It wasn't useful. It wasn't decision making. And actually out of all those videos, because they're 15, 20 seconds, I remember one, which was how to Harvest Blueberries Without Literally Just Picking Each One Off. And that's because I grow raspberries and I was wondering if there's a quicker way. There was this moment where I really thought, why are we doing this? Because everybody else is. Yes, I put videos out there too. Do you know what? We had over 3,000 views at Banta Group putting up our Christmas tree in time-lapse. People are bored if you're actually watching us put up our really average... It wasn't like the Martin Place Christmas tree. It was an office Christmas tree. And three and a half thousand people watched that. Now, if that was three and a half thousand useful people trying to find marketing engagements and contacted me, I'd be doing this every 15 minutes. But it's not.
2: Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, because I I think people sometimes can relate to content that gets put up that means something to them. Putting up a Christmas tree is something that usually means something to other people. So even though it might seem boring to us, if it means something to someone else, it could easily get a lot of traction.
0: Absolutely. But it's having that clarity of the strategy. Why would I do this? What am I expecting? And why should I be here? No different to, should I have a Facebook strategy? because I know people make recommendations and validate me. So what is that strategy that comes from TikTok? And yes, I think if you can get the brand out there in an interesting way, and you're getting lots of people seeing the brand, that could be its purpose is brand recognition. Clubhouse, wow. (laughs) That's a rabbit hole, isn't it? (laughs) Is anyone tired? Because By the time you've gone through your Facebook, your Instagram, your LinkedIn, you've dropped a couple of reels, you're now in TikTok. Oh, quick, you know what? Right about 2am, I'll jump into Clubhouse for a listening experience that may or may not be curated. I feel like I'm going back to chat rooms in the 1990s. And, And what are we going to end up with? Oh, I can't even tell you what we're going to end up with. I wish I knew, but it feels very, look, it's interesting. It's a new platform. People want to see what happens. They're getting some really great individuals hosting. I want a better curated experience.
2: Well, that's the problem with all the platforms that we've talked about. Like they're all quite powerful, but none of them can tell the difference between smart people and dumb people. Thank you. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, to put it, to put it bluntly, how is someone like Clubhouse going to tell if the information coming out is Extremist sort of crap or whether it's actually valuable?
0: 100%. And who's validating it and who's moderating it? And where is this going to go very, very badly before a platform like that gets shut down? And I think that the problem that we see, even in the International Social Media Association, this is a global organization, there's lots of different country policies that are being discussed in the organization. And The law is different in every single one of those countries. So we have to keep in mind that one of these things comes out, does it actually adhere to our moderation laws? We are very different to America and gladly so in many, many respects. And I quite like the protection and I quite like the sensitivities around what can and can't be said in our media to a degree. I'm not saying silence everyone. I'm simply saying there are some really good rules that we have, which are intentional. And I think that can be the great undoing of something like Clubhouse.
2: Absolutely. It's interesting. It sounds like it's getting more and more like the matrix out there. And you've got to be careful to not only dip in and do the marketing thing, but then get out.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And is that any different? I love that you just brought up the matrix. I mean, being in digital as well. And in marketing, that was just the best and minority report. I've got a digital scanner built in, well, built into my body. I'll show it to you. I'm diabetic and I scan my blood sugar results. Can you see that? Yep. Yeah. And so that's one piece of digital tech that can track me. But if you then start thinking about the QR code and being tracked wherever we're going, our Google Maps gives me a summary of everywhere My phone has been because it's tracking my apps, not my driving, tracking where I go. This is massive amounts of data all being pulled together. And all we need to do is open up the pipes, put those two things together and we are stuffed. (laughs) (laughs) We really are. And you know what? By even having digital technology built into my arm, there's a chance that even my health insurance will be affected by my control, my self-control of diabetes. And this goes back to your declaration. So even looking at it as a a real estate agent, being able to tie these pieces of data together, I think there's an exciting opportunity, but we have to remain human. We are in a human business in real estate and it's about the people and those connections. And I don't think we should put all our eggs in everyone
2: else's basket, not even in Clubhouse. That's great advice. And I'm just looking at the clock. We have covered so much in such a short space of time, we've done everything from Facebook to iOS 14 to Clubhouse to TikTok and everything in between. And I want to thank you for spending some time with us this morning. It's been amazing. If you were to leave everyone with one piece of advice or or one final thought, what would that be? Measure your success and measure what matters. We are
0: trying as marketers, as business owners to do everything and no one really knows if it's working. Imagine if you just worked out what was working, did more of that and did less of everything else. We are... Losing our focus digitally is making us really go, oh, shiny things left, right and centre. That comes down to our productivity, being able to focus on one task. Multitasking does not work for most people. Time blocking, email blocking. If we take all the best tips from everywhere, we'll have a tip sheet like this and get nothing done. So try and focus on one thing at a time, measure it, understand its purpose, drop the stuff that's not working. You do not have to be everywhere. You just have to be in the places that make
2: a difference. That is fantastic advice, Valentina Bourbon. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Nice to see you again.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Elevate with thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to download your written action guide from this podcast containing extra tips, links and shortcuts. Visit eliteagentelevate.com.